Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. Good morning. Man, what a what a wonderful uh, opportunity that I get to, to be here with you and, and to, to preach. A lot of times I'm, I'm behind the scenes, I'm like a secret ninja uh, wandering around, uh, fixing all the little fires that are going on on Sunday morning. Uh, but uh, thank you for, uh, for being here. You could be literally anywhere else on, on the Sunday morning, beautiful Sunday morning, but you're here. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, so you can go ahead and start flipping there in your Bibles, Luke chapter 9. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible with you, you can uh, look in front of you and up underneath the seat should be a Bible. You can take that Bible home with you. Uh, and so as you're flipping up to, to Luke 9, chapter 9, I, I want to start off by, by confessing something to you. Now, I, um, I told my wife I was trying to think of how to open um, the sermon today and told her I thought about this and she just slowly shook her head no, which she's still doing. Um, but... I'm not smart, so I'm going to go ahead and share it anyways. Uh, I was, it was early 90s, I was 6th or 7th grade, and I was lonely. I was lonely, and, and I wanted, uh, I wanted a, a girlfriend, to be completely honest with you. And so I, I went looking, and the only place that a 6th or 7th grade boy who loved Jesus would go to find a girlfriend, the church directory. Now, I know some of you have no idea what the church directory is. It's, it's essentially a yearbook for the church with people's personal information printed in the back. So I, I grabbed the, uh, the church directory and I began flipping uh, through the potential uh, future Miss Jackson <laughs> candidates and I, I landed on the, uh, the one. Right, so I'll call her Jane. Uh, so I picked up the phone. Uh, yes, Miss um, Jane's mom. Uh, can can I speak to Jane? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, hey, Jane. This is um, this is Randy. Yeah, from church. Uh huh. Yeah, I uh, I was I was wondering, would you um, would you be my girlfriend? Oh. No? Oh, okay. All right, well, I'll, I'll see you at church tomorrow. Okay, yeah, bye. That was awkward. Well, did I learn my lesson? 
No, no. Picked up the directory, flipped on to the next potential candidate. We'll call her Jane number two. I'm not going to name any ladies' names with my wife sitting right here. That would be ludicrous. Okay, this is, this is the next one, Jane number two. Hey, hey, Jane, this is, this is Jane number two, sorry. This, this is Randy from church. Uh, yeah, I'm, hey, uh, you know, how about you and me? You know, we date. Oh, you think I look hideous? Oh, okay. All right, well, I'll see you tomorrow at church. All right, bye. Oh, did I learn my lesson? No, I kept on flipping to number three, number four, number five. I think I got up to number seven or eight uh, that day and exhausted all of the potential candidates uh, for future Miss Jackson to be met with no after no after I hate you after no. <laughs> Can I be honest? I, I was searching, I was seeking uh, for this thing that was supposed to make me feel good about myself, was supposed to make me feel powerful, was supposed to make me something that I, that I wasn't. And I think that many of us in this room are also seeking. We're seeking things. And so today I want to answer three questions about what we're seeking. And so let's open up Luke chapter nine, verse 28. And when you get there, if you'll stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter nine, starting in verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter, James, and John, and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothes became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when a voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met them. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and suddenly cries out. It convulses him, so he foams at the mouth and it shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son son here. When he was coming, the the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father and all were astonished at the majesty of God. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you now. I pray this morning you would help us to think rightly about who you are, And you would help us to evaluate, what are we seeking? What are we seeking, God? And Father, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. You would speak to us through your word. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. The first question I want to to answer this morning is, 
are we seeking man's glory or are we seeking God's glory? Now, before we get into the passage, we need to, to look at what just has happened. Because in verse 22, Jesus tells uh, the people there that, hey, I, I'm gonna have to die. He tells the disciples, I'm, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna have to be, be buried. And, and right after that, in verse 23, he says, oh, by the way, you're gonna have to live like you're gonna die. You're gonna have to take up your cross daily and follow me. This is not what they wanted to hear. They, they were hoping for this warrior king that was gonna come in and he was gonna, he was gonna take over and, 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 and just reign and rule. And he has just said, I'm gonna die and you're gonna have to live like you're gonna die. And so their whole world is shattered right now. So actually what they're about to see is gonna be very encouraging for them because they're trying to pick up the pieces of what they've just heard. Now, uh, we also need to know that when Jesus uh, came to the earth, he was 100% man, yes, he was also 100% God. But while he was here on this earth, uh, 2 Corinthians tells us that he humbled himself, right? He, he, he had his divinity veiled behind his humanity. Now, that doesn't mean that the, the divinity was non-existent. It was still there. It was just veiled behind his humanity. So that's going to be very, very important as we dig into the story. And so they're going up this mountain, and they're going to pray, right? Verse 29 tells us they're going there to pray, and Jesus starts praying. Man, as Jesus starts praying, something happens. Jesus starts to, to look a little different. It says his face was shining. His, his clothes were, were bleach white. They were dazzling. Now, now listen, we're not going to be able to fully understand and comprehend exactly what's going on here. Uh, it, it is something outside of our understanding, but it should remind us of a few things. It should remind us of Moses, right? You remember Moses, when, when he would go and meet with the Lord, he would come down from the mountain, and guess what? His face was radiant. It was shining because he had been in the presence of the Lord, so much so that he would have to put a veil over his face when he was with the people. And he'd go back up the mountain, and he'd take the veil off, and his face would be charged back up again because he was in the presence and the glory of the Lord. First John 1, 5, in talking about the word of life, it says that God is light. Oh, this is really good. Hebrews 1, 3, talking about Jesus, it says that he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you know exactly what Jesus was looking like. You're thinking he was looking like this. Mm. That is one good looking zoot suit. For those of you who were here a few years ago, I wore this on Easter. Seven button white zoot suit. White pants, white jacket, white vest, white shoes, white belt. I couldn't find my white tie, but I do have a white tie. Listen, this is not what Jesus looked like, is it? It's not what he looked like at all. Now that's, he looks good, but Jesus was on a whole nother level. Now, can I go ahead and say before we move on, you have my word, church. You have my word that Easter 2024, the zoot suit is gonna return. Thank you. If I can lose the weight. Okay, so <laughs> Jesus looked different, right? He looked different. Listen, they saw him. They saw him so much so that in Second Peter, Peter's writing and he's recalling these events. He's like, we really did see the glory of God. We, this really, really happened. This wasn't just like pretend. We saw the glory of the Lord and, and his glory was unveiled. His divinity was unveiled for the first and only time during his earthly ministry. They saw Jesus' divinity fully open. 
in all its glorious display. Now, what is, what is his glory, right? The word glory carries with it this, this idea of, of weightiness. It's significant, it's heavy, holiness and honor and splendor. And so what they saw was indescribable. Now, we don't have this word in the Luke passage, but the other passages in Matthew and Mark use the word transfiguration. And that word transfiguration actually comes from, we get the word metamorphosis from that word. And so it's just something internally that is making its way out. So Jesus didn't say, hey, hold on just a second. I need to unpack this bag of glory over here and, and put it on for you to see. He didn't say, hey, hey, Father, I, I need you just to, to give me a little glory for just a moment. No, he was simply letting come out what was already there. His glory was coming out for all to see there on the mountain, Peter, James, and John. And so they were getting a taste for who Jesus really was. And so Jesus is looking different, right? He's up there, verse 30, and all of a sudden there's two that are there chatting with him. So you got Moses and you got Elijah. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing uh, the prophets, as if to say that Jesus' ministry, his mission, were not only from God, but he came not to abolish the law and prophets, but to fulfill them. Man, this is so good. You notice what they were talking about in verse 41, or 31, sorry. They were talking about his dinner plans? No. His 401k? No. His Easter attire for 2024? No. They were talking about his departure. Now, again, the Greek word there is actually exodus. Exodus. Now, that should sound familiar because who's up there on the mountain with him? Moses. Moses actually brought the people out of Egypt, right? It led this exodus of his people to rescue them from slavery to Egypt. Jesus himself was about to lead his own exodus. And he said, I'm about to accomplish this in Jerusalem, right? I'm gonna lead this exodus. This exodus, I'm gonna lead people out of slavery to sin, out of bondage to sin, into freedom. Man, so good. And so Jesus is there and, and they're talking about this exodus and they see Jesus and they're faced with this question. Are they gonna seek man's glory or God's glory? Because here's what man's glory is. Man's glory is wanting the recognition. Now, we know this, don't we? we we've been raised to, to seek recognition. You got trophies for everything, right? You got first place, second place, third place, fifth place, eighth place, middle place, last place. You got certificates for all sorts of recognition. You know, like you, you tried, here's a, here's a certificate, recognition, right? I never saw this fully played out as much as I did when we went on our last cruise. And <laughs> let me just say, I brought home this puppy right here. Carnival elation, ship on a stick. People lost their ever-loving minds trying to get one of these. I mean, people were, were throwing babies across the dining room, shoving people over the rails, you know, breaking into people's rooms, all to get this. We were doing the scavenger hunt. And can I be honest? I wanted the recognition. I made my family do things that I'm not proud of. <laughs> and we made it back to the, the starting point and had our sheet filled out and the pictures and we're showing them all. And there was a ship there and, and they gave us the ship on a stick. I'm like, yes, we got first place. It was actually like eighth place. They gave like the, the first 10 teams a ship on a stick, right? <laughs> it wasn't even significant, but we got a ship on a stick and, and I still have it. It actually is on, in my office. I leave it on my bookshelf. But we like the recognition, don't we? 
We like the glory. We like the fame. Seeking man's glory is also wanting the credit. The credit for when things go right and ignoring it when things go wrong. We only want the credit. We only want the recognition. But seeking God's glory is different, right? Seeking God's glory is this. It's wanting uh, or being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know Romans 12 too, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That word transformed in Romans 12 too, it's the same word that's used for the transfiguration. So just as Jesus was transfigured, he allowed the glory to come out. We too are to be transformed by surrendering to him. John 15, eight, when Jesus is talking about being the true vine, he says, what glorifies God most is that we bear much fruit. Seeking God's glory is also falling on our face. Falling on our face, uh, being overwhelmed by the glory of God. I wanna read for you just a passage that's one of my favorite passages now. And if you would just indulge me for a few moments from Ezekiel chapter one. Ezekiel's writing and trying to describe this, this kind of thing that he sees and it's indescribable and it's, it's got like wheels and it's spinners and heavenly uh, beings that are there and it's going all sorts of ways. And he starts to, to look up on top of this kind of platform. And these are the words he writes. Ezekiel 1, 26, and above the expanse over their heads, there was a likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. Now I want you to listen for the, the kind of the glowing radiant uh, terms that we see. And upward from what he had, uh, what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard a voice of one speaking. When was the last time you were awestruck by the glory of God? Are you seeking man's glory or God's glory? The second question I want us to answer is, are we seeking man's presence or God's presence? Man's presence or God's presence? So they're in verse 32, they're, they're up on the mountain. By the way, uh, Peter, James, and John, they're, they're half asleep. Uh, Moses and Elijah are there, and they're no stranger to mountaintop experiences. Moses received the law from, uh, from on top of a mountain. Elijah actually defeated the prophets of Baal from on top of a mountain. And then the disciples, they start to, to kind of wake up. They kind of start to see what really is going on. They see the glory of the Lord. And, and Peter, once he realizes what he's seeing and, and sees the guys are like on their way out, he doesn't want it to end. He doesn't want it to stop. And says, listen, let's, let's set up some tents. I'll set up uh, one for you, Jesus. I'll set up one for, for Moses and one for Elijah. Uh, it seems really good. And, and it's possibly pointing us to the tabernacle, tabernacle uh, the Old Testament um, place of worship, maybe the, the festival of booths, uh, this festival that was set up to, to point them to the coming Messiah. But either way, Peter doesn't quite get it, does he? He's putting Jesus on the same level 
as the prophets. And while on the surface this seems, this seems right, it's not. Those of you with kids will, will kind of uh, understand this. When you're at the park or somewhere fun, something fun is happening, you give the warning, right? Hey, we've got five minutes left, five minutes. And five minutes passes, and what do the kids say? Five more minutes, just five more minutes. And some of us, because we're really good parents, will cave. Five more minutes. Five more minutes passes. And what do they ask for? Five more minutes. And then our patience starts to, to, to run thin. But we, okay, listen, I'm, I'm on the way out the door. If you're not in the car, I'm going to leave you, right? We start to barter and we give them another five minutes. And listen, they will ask for five minutes in perpetuity forever if we let them because it's, it's fun. They recognize that, that something good is happening here. And that's what Peter saw. Peter, James, and John, they didn't want it to end. But they were missing something. They were missing the fact that one of these was not like the others. One of these was not like the others. And so verse 34, this cloud starts to roll in. And the cloud, we should remember from the Old Testament, was, was the presence of God among his people, right? This cloud starts to, to cover uh, cover the people that are there, so much so that it says they are afraid. Now, again, when people saw the cloud in the Old Testament on Sinai, they were afraid there as well, back in Exodus 19. And then a voice calls from inside the cloud. He says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Mark actually adds, whom I love. This looks an awfully lot like the baptism, doesn't it? Baptism of Jesus Voice calls from heaven, says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Poof, the cloud is gone. And then Jesus alone is left. Moses and Elijah gone. Now listen, this isn't like my eighth grade dance. Everybody's out there on the dance floor, you know, doing the dance. And Brandy's stuck in the corner alone, you know, again. And he's got nobody to dance with. This isn't like the... The game, you know, everybody's getting picked for the dodgeball game and Randy's in the corner. He's the last one to be picked. No, this is quite the opposite. This is Jesus is the only one that is picked. He's the only one worthy. He's the only one that's out there. He is majestic. He is glorious. He is present. And the disciples are being shown whose presence actually matters. See, seeking man's presence is this. It's losing sight of what's good or what's great for what's good. And we pass up on, on the best things for just good things. It's, it's letting church just be kind of the social thing that we do and not actually encountering the God who created us and designed us and gets to define us. It's letting our life chase after the next goal rather than chasing after Christ. Seeking man's presence is seeking counsel from others in spite of God. I mean, you know, just like I do, that when things go wrong, something in your relationship, something at, at work, maybe just something in life, and we feel wronged or we feel like something's not right, we always go to someone who's gonna tell us what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. So we'll go find those people in spite of God because we want to feel validated. We want our presence to matter rather than God's presence. But see, seeking God's presence is this. It's keeping the main thing, the main thing. And what is the main thing? It's knowing Christ and making him known, growing in the word, growing in our faith. 
is finding fulfillment in Christ alone. Listen, no job, no relationship, no vice is ever going to be able to fulfill us, only the presence of God. Are you seeking man's presence or God's presence? The last question I want to answer today is, are you seeking man's power or God's power? Verse 37. So they're coming down from the mountain. Uh, it says they don't, they don't tell a single soul what just happened. Peter, James, and John, their lips are sealed. We actually know from the other gospels that Jesus himself told them not to say anything until they saw the son of man risen from the dead. Right, so they, their lips are sealed and they come down and guess what they find? A big crowd, right? And in this big crowd, there's a dad and this dad has a son and this son is not okay. The son has this, this evil spirit and this evil spirit is doing lots of really bad things to this kid. It's throwing him down to the ground. He's foaming at the mouth, gnashing his teeth. It says in uh, one of the other gospels that it's actually trying to throw him into water and drown him or throw him into fire and burn him. I mean, this is just not a great situation for this kid. And what I find crazy is that disciples couldn't do anything about it. Dad says, hey, I tried to give him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him, which I find very strange because what happens in Luke 9, just at the beginning of the chapel, chap, uh, chapter, verse 1, what does it say? And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. No wonder that Jesus got really upset. He got upset, didn't he? He says, you twisted and perverse generation. I'm like, man, that's, that's pretty tough. I mean, they're trying to do their best, you know, trying to you know, do ministry. And you come down from this mountain and you get mad at them for not being able to heal this demon. And I started to ask myself the question, like, why, why couldn't they heal? And why was Jesus so, so upset, right? Now, I think our answer is the same for both of those questions. What were they lacking and why was Jesus upset? I think the first part was their faith. It says you faithless generation. Because Jesus wasn't right there with them, right beside them, right holding their hand along, what happened is they started to lose confidence. And when they lost the confidence, they couldn't do what Jesus had equipped them to do. Mark 9, 29 tells us that when the disciples went and asked Jesus, hey, why, why, couldn't, we, why couldn't we do this thing? It's because this thing could have only happened through prayer. Ooh, right? They just didn't pray enough? Could it be that simple? Yeah. So not only do I think he's directing this twisted and perverse generation at the crowd, I think he's also in part directing it at his disciples who had lost faith, and because Jesus wasn't right there holding their hand along the way, they forgot to even pray. Man. They were trying to do it in their own power. But we, we do this too, don't we? we? We try to seek our own power. And this is what seeking man's power looks like. Seeking man's power looks like refusing help from those who will point you to Christ. Now, when I was 17... Uh, I, uh, I bought a 1967 Camaro, oh, right? It was an awesome car. And so I dropped a 327 in it, yeah, dropped a 327. I had a two-speed power glide transmission in it. And so I wanted to, wanted to like, you know, make it look a little nicer. 
So I bought this nice racing shifter. And so I went to put the shifter in. And my dad said, hey, son, let me help you put the shifter in. Dad, I got it, right? So I start cutting stuff, and I'm installing it. And he comes back out. He's like, hey, son, let, let, let me help you with, with this. Dad, I got it. I know how to do what, what this thing is that I'm doing. So let me install it. I put it in. Things, things aren't quite right. I mean, it's shifting, but it's not shifting, and it's doing this, this weird stuff. My dad comes out, and he's like, son, let, please let me help you. And I lost it. This is my car. This is my shifter. This is my house. No, it's not my house. But this is, this is mine. Leave me alone. Let me do this thing on my own. Leave me right now. And so he did. What he didn't know is that I had bought a three-speed shifter and had tried to install it into a two-speed transmission car. Did I tell my dad? Nope. I drove that car around for months with the wrong shifter in there because I was so prideful in my own power that I was not gonna admit that I did it wrong. We know this, right? We refuse help from anyone who's gonna point us to Christ. Second thing we do is we think that, that you and you alone have to take care of yourself, me, myself, and I. And so we don't rely on anybody for help. And church, can I, can I tell you, we need one another. You need the people sitting beside you. You need those life connection groups. You need those discipleship groups. You need people around you who are gonna point you to Christ and help you realize that you are not responsible solely for yourself. We must share the burdens of one another. That's what the body of Christ does. Seeking God's power, on the other hand, is recognizing that we can't do this life without Christ. We can't. We need him. Seeking God's power is also prayer. I know that sounds super, super simple. But church, we need to pray. When we talk about having a relationship with God, it's a two-way street, right? God talking to us and us talking to God. And how does God talk to us? through his word. And how do we talk to God? Through prayer. We must be a praying people. Can I, can I confess another thing to you? That is probably one of the weakest areas of my spiritual life. Not sure I pray for the food, and sure I pray if something really bad is going on, but you mean I gotta, gotta pray throughout the day for other things, for other people, for myself? You bet so. We must be a praying people. That's how we seek God's power in our life. So, what are you seeking? Are you seeking Christ alone? Maybe you're in here and you, you feel like your head is just barely above water, right? Things are not going well. The, the, the plans you had laid out aren't, aren't working themselves out like you thought they were. Maybe your, your marriage is about to fall apart. Maybe your job is about to fall apart. Maybe you just hate your job, even though it pays really well. Uh, maybe your kids are about to drive you crazy. Uh, maybe you just are done. You're ready to throw in the towel. May I suggest that maybe, just maybe, you've been seeking man's glory or perhaps man's presence or maybe man's power rather than God's. And today, Maybe you need to be transformed 
Romans 12, 2, by the renewing of your mind, coming to Christ, seeing him for who he really is. Maybe you're in this room and, and you're a believer, but for whatever reason, this life has just started to crush you and weigh you down. Maybe today is, is a day that you confess those things to God and you say, God, please let me see you for who you are. Let me see your glory and your presence and your power and let me draw from those things rather than from my own. The, the band's gonna, gonna come up. One last thing I want you to do because our staff, we really do love you. We, we love this, this body of Christ and we wanna be able to, pr- to pray for you and to help you take next steps. So in your worship guide, there's a little connect card, right? And usually that connect card, we were asking people, first time guests to fill that out. But a discipleship group or get plugged in more. Maybe today is the day that you need to fill that out and you need to bring that by the tent or give it to me. And so we can help you take next steps to find that community that you so desperately need. You may just not know it yet. So you can fill that out and you can drop that in the offering plate when you, when you leave or you can drop it by the tent. Whatever it is, I know that God wants to do something this morning. Are you seeking Christ alone? Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you now. My prayer is that today you would help us to think rightly about who you are. Help us to seek Christ alone. Father, we love you. That you would help us to make the right steps to to deepen our walk with you. We pray these things in your powerful, holy, and glorious name. Amen.